Hello and welcome to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today. Your co-hosts, Valian Likely and Catherine Lotzbeach. Welcome to week five, or episode five, of our podcast, Millennial Ag. We are excited to have our first guest on this week, Miss Kara Smith from Colorado Craft Beef. Uh, before we get started, though, we wanted to thank you all for your kind feedback, uh, great words of encouragement, and some helpful tips. We do want to continue hearing from you all. And with that, Catherine, would you like to introduce Miss Kara? Yeah, so Kara Smith is a good friend of mine. She and I met through the Colorado Agricultural Leadership Program, which is a program that brings together people from all aspects of agriculture in Colorado and um, helps them develop leadership skills. And uh, Kara plays a really unique role in Colorado agriculture, um, both because of her day job and what she does on the side. So uh, we'll dive into those in just a minute, but Kara's background is in beef. She's a fifth generation rancher and is perfectly positioned to answer some of these questions that we got from you guys this week. Yeah, Kara, so we had a couple people ask me, what grass-fed versus grass-finished, and then what corn-finished is as well. And since you're an expert in this, I thought you could maybe answer those questions for us. Very good. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to have these conversations. And that question, honestly, is a great question. Because if we look at the USDA standards, which is where these meat labels come from, the ones that are officially regulated through USDA, Grass-fed actually was regulated up until 2016, but it's such an ambiguous nomenclature that it was very hard for USDA to actually regulate that within our production chain. So that was withdrawn in 2016. So now by sheer definition, it's how a company or an individual or whoever may be marketing their beef, how they want to define grass-fed and or grass-finished. Simplistically, grass-fed means that the cattle that are now beef on your table have been fed grass at some point in their life. Uh, Depending on the company and the marketing plan, there's a different time frame on what that may be. As we all well know, especially where we ranch and run beef cattle, the high majority to almost all of our cattle are grass-fed at some point because they're out on native range and grass and pasture with their dams from the time, you know, they're born typically until they're weaned, which is approximately six to seven months of age. So they've been consuming grass alongside their dam, of course, with milk in that. Uh, But then when we look at the grass-finished definition, that's where it, it can be different is if these cattle have only consumed grasses from the time they were born to the time that they'll be consumed by a consumer, that's where that grass-fed, grass-finished label comes into play. However, something that can be so very confusing, which I know could be a completely different topic for another day of (laughs) truth and labeling and labels within the agriculture industry, is that sheer definition of what a grass is. Uh, because legumes can be put into that because they are a grass by definition. So, for example, say we could we could finish cattle on eat, which technically are classified as a legume, but they have a, such a high energy content that it's very similar as feeding corn as far as their, their energy content. 
to have enough energy to truly finish those cattle, if that makes sense. So there's so many different definitions and it's very difficult in our production systems in the U.S. in general, um, unless you start getting into some parts of California, for an animal to be on green growing lush grass that they need to finish at a reasonable weight uh, within a reasonable amount of time in in our current production systems to be 100% grass fed, 100% grass finished all the way through. Yes, that does make sense. And just for our listeners out there, I think that if I don't think that you could have asked for better definitions. Um, Kara has a master's in ruminant nutrition, and I think that's pretty apparent from what she just shared with us. So thank you for those for those clarifications. I've got a question about the finishing times. Um, it sounds like it takes longer to finish cattle, to get them ready for human consumption on grass than it does on corn. Is that correct? The judicious use of the fever feeding them is the judicious use of our environment to get them to that point. Um, and that's where a lot of times these labels may be misconstrued as of, you know, being better for the environment, being better for the cattle. A lot of the things that may have played into marketing, which what? I'm not saying you're that saying, you're saying marketing can be misconstrued. definitely. Well, a lot of our philosophy is around you know, that, that truth and labeling and having those conversations with the consumer so they can't understand so many of these things because at the sheer heart of it, it can be very confusing. And, and food is so personal that somebody really wants to understand these things of how their food is produced so they can, so they can feel comfortable at what they're putting on their table for the family. Thanks, Kara, for the definitions of grass-fed versus grass-finished. Now would you want to explain to our listeners what corn-finished is? So cattle that are, are corn finished, typically the time frame for that is anywhere from four to six months, depending on what stage in their life that they're at. And that, that corn finish, or I mean, it's a high energy diet is what it is. So basically it, it reduces the amount of time that it takes for an animal to reach that endpoint. Uh, but the biggest difference that a consumer is going to taste if between a corn finished animal and a grass finished animal is I, I refer to it as more of kind of like a gamey type of flavor with yeah. grass finish like you would taste with uh, you know if, if you shot an antelope or you know if you ever do any sort of wild game type hunting you have more of that kind of flavor and that finish but with corn fed it's more of that buttery you can taste, you know, the fat content, uh, and it's very flavorful. So it's definitely a different taste when we start talking grass finish, truly grass finish versus corn finish. Perfect. Hey, that's awesome and good stuff to know, too. I think maybe maybe just conventionally in the United States over what, what we're used to the last 50 years or so is probably corn finished or green finished. Does that, is that a correct assumption? Most definitely. What our palate in the U.S. is accustomed to would be corn-finished beef. Uh, and the majority of consumers that I have conversations with about this, once we go through the steps and the why and the more of the understanding, uh, at the end of the day, they typically do choose corn-finished because that is what they're used to. But there are some consumers out there that prefer that more kind of gamey, earthy-type flavor 
that comes from grass-finished beef versus corn-finished because corn-finished is more mild in flavor versus really bold, which normally you'll get with a, a grass. But something to note in the environment we, we live in is it's very difficult to find 100% grass-finished beef in the U.S. Uh, as I mentioned before, just with our growing seasons, uh, some of the other challenges we have, and if Normally, if a consumer is finding that on a grocery store shelf, a lot of the time it's imported from other countries hmm. that have these resources. That's so. a whole other interesting conversation we're going to have to ask you back for. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, thank you for those definitions, Kara. And with that, do you want to kind of introduce yourself, uh, tell, you, tell us a little bit about your day job, and then your side hustle you've kicked off? You bet. So a little bit about me. Uh, I was born and raised on a ranch in northeastern Colorado where I still reside with my husband. Um, and I'm the fifth generation, and here shortly we will be welcoming the sixth generation. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, I've always been very heavily ingrained in the, in the beef cattle business, uh, the western way of life, and you know the western heritage that goes along with it. Uh, capitalized on that with my education, so I have a background in animal science, a uh, master's degree in ruminant nutrition, so uh, my husband lovingly refers to me as the counter, so <laughs> know something about beef cattle. They're That's a good company here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, so as far as Colorado craft beef, this heritage of the Western way of life and ranching and Living here in Colorado uh, is really part of what spurred the, the thought of going to a direct-to-consumer marketing, which is what Colorado Craft Beef is. So basically, we are, we're selling our beef straight to an end consumer, um, you know, controlling the whole chain and having these, you know, doing the marketing and having those types of conversations. Um, and this is, this is my side hustle, as you guys referred to it, <laughs> um, outside of my day job in animal health. Uh, so I've been in animal health for most of my professional career, which does give me a unique perspective as far as having conversations with producers every day about what they do and how they do it, um, understanding more different parts of the beef chain and, you know, how you can help add some value to your business. But that also more or less spurred me to think in a different way about how we do business in the beef chain. Uh, and along those lines comes a little story of when my husband and I moved back to the ranch here in Colorado, we were having a conversation with my dad one cold stormy day in August after shipping cattle, you know, the, the one time a year that, that you get paid for your work all year when you're ranching. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and we, we looked at, both, both my husband and I looked at my dad and asked him, like considering how much has changed within the environment that he's ranching in, you know, whether it's political, uh, economical, all the things that go into it, how much has changed? Can we as millennials, considering, you know, we're going to have that conversation around millennials, come in and be able to, to take over this and run it the same way you did, right? Ask him if that was a possibility. And he looked at both of us and said, no, I don't, I don't believe it is. You know, it's not because the, it hasn't been managed well and isn't sustainable because, of course, I mean, it's, it's been in the family for five generations. 
it's just everything in agriculture has changed so much and continues to change that we need to innovate and we need to adapt to be able to make it our own to take it on to the next generation for for us and our children so that's where the the thought of colorado craft beef came from was we need to look at it a different way and do it a different way and take it from operating in a commodity business to more of a value-added business awesome i love that's where Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say, I just love, I love the background in that story, and I think you know, for those of us who come from production ag, it's um, we can understand why you were asking your dad those questions. But I think something that might be on our minds is you have a good, a great job in animal health that um, I think probably takes care of you fairly well, and you had been able to go off ranch and and see what the rest of the world is like. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to work on weekends if you don't want to, but you and your husband came back and asked your dad, how are we going to do this? Why did you guys decide that you wanted to be in production ag also? What's the, what's the background there? That's a great question. (laughs) If we want to talk generations, so many generations, you know, evolved, Within, started in production ag and evolved away from it by telling their their children that this is hard work. Don't come and back. It's a hard life. Yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be tough to come back. So you know, go get an education. Go find a job in town. You know, find a different path because this is it, it is truly hard work, as you ladies well know. I mean, it's uh, a lot of it can be romanticized with you know the Western way of life and Western movies and. You know, some of the marketing that we see around agriculture, but it's uh, it's a little bit different when you're shipping cattle and it's, you know, 20 below, or, you <laughs> yeah. know, calving out cows, and it's snowing sideways. And you can't fill your toes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're no longer, you don't know if your toes exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Those things are, are a reality. Um but there's also, you, you both know, there's something that's just in your blood when it comes to production agriculture. And and for us, it's such a noble effort to to work to feed the world, too. I mean, it's the food is so personal. And, you know, for me in particular, of course, beef is so personal. <laughs> because as Sally said on the podcast more than once, I mean, that is what has supported my entire life and my family for generations. So mm-hmm. it's, it's that and it's being in a position where we can share the story with the next generation and uh, a consuming public that's so very far removed from it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just, it, it'd be hard for me to ever really truly turn my back on the industry. And, and in a way, I feel like that's what I'd be doing if I didn't go back to production ag. And, of course, the, the land and the ground that you grew up on and the way that you grew up, that's something that I want for, for our children. So, they're all things that played into doing both, I suppose. Well, that's, what a great story, and it's, I can relate so much to you, Kara, and kind of maybe tying back a little bit to last week, and we started talking about telling our story and how we do it with... Um, the next generation as millennials and we feel like you've done an amazing job with that um how do you how do you recommend that the rest of us continue to tell our story 
more personable and how you have done it through Colorado craft beef and why you find it important. Well, thank you for that sentiment. Uh, that was one thing when my husband and I sat down with our business plan and our marketing plan for Colorado craft beef is we make very clear is we will not demonize conventional agriculture because we, at the end of the day, we need to feed the world. And that is an incredibly noble effort. And we know that we, we can't necessarily do that by, you know, selling one, one beef at a time to, you know, our target demographic. We, we know that that's just, that's not going to be able to happen. And also, you know, we both have either had jobs and or in so many ways dedicated our life to advancing the science to help progressing to feed the world. And our family still functions, you know, in that sector as well, uh, as well as, you know, friends and so many other people that, you know, we, we, we had no intention of going out and saying that what we're doing is, conventional agriculture is is bad because we do know that we need to see the world it's more of telling the story of how we are doing it with craft beef uh, letting people truly connect with where their food comes from by talking to the person that produced it I mean, it's it's amazing the conversations you can have when you just openly engage with a consumer that's willing to be engaged with of course there's caveat there but and why we produce it that way and how how our ranch and the way we need to produce beef here is so much different even than one of our neighbors 10 or 15 miles down the road i mean our beef production chain is so segmented and there's a reason because we're using the resources that we have available on our ground maybe what we're farming i mean so many of the other things that go into it of not just saying this is the one right way to do it. And the beautiful thing about beef cattle is, I mean, they're the ultimate upcyclers. <laughs> they can utilize ground that we couldn't use for anything else. Uh, we, we actually have an old sickle sitting in the front of our house, an old hay sickle, because my grandpa tried to hay his ground in the, I think it was the early 60s, was the last time he tried to hay our ground out here. And it was such a train wreck that <laughs> the horses ran off. I mean, he wasn't getting any yields out of it. This ground just wasn't suitable to be farming. And he parked the sickle, well, inadvertently parked the sickle where it ended up when the horses ran off, cut the horses off of it, you know, cut their harness off of it, and said, I've never farmed this ground again. <laughs> that's why we run cattle on our ground is because that's, that's the most, you know, the way we can contribute to our resources and the most efficient use of our natural resources that we have here. Well, this so, is so great. There's so much great information in what you just shared with us. I mean, first off, I think it's incredibly refreshing that you and your husband and your family don't view what you're doing as a zero-sum game. You guys have... Um, I mean, I would say that you're fully engaged, not one foot in either or industry, but you you guys are fully engaged in, in two sides of the industry, and you realize that we need both sides to make agriculture work. And I just, I, I mean, I really appreciate you saying that you're not going to demonize conventional ag because you guys have a part in that too, and you realize that that is what feeds the world. And so, I mean, just from someone who harps on that all the time, a great big thank you. And then... 
I also love that story. It's great. Um, you just demonstrated perfectly how some land is just not suitable for farming. And like you said, your cows are taking, taking that inedible sagebrush to us and turning into a really great product. You, you really rock it, tell your story. And you just told us that you will not be negative and you, you choose to support and celebrate all parts of the beef industry. But um, are there challenges to always being that positive? Is it hard to have conversations with some people who maybe think that you should only be in one side or some people who think that there should only be one way to produce beef, either consumers or fellow producers? Yes, most definitely. So we're very active on social media. Um, we talk to quite a few influencers within that space. Um, a lot of them have, have kind of circled around the whole new carnivore movement. Uh, if you haven't heard of that, that definitely it is, it is a pretty big movement nowadays within the nutrition space. And we've actually been denied to go on podcasts with some of these influencers because we wouldn't come out and say, this is the only way to produce beef. Can you real quick, so, Kara, um, define what a carnivore diet is? I think I kind of know, but is there any veggies on that diet or what, what consists of just a carnivore diet? I'm not sure I could give you 100% the true definition, but there are very few veggies, if any. And you guys it's, it's who... a red meat type of diet. Well, my ag teacher did always tell us that chicken was a uh, vegetable because there was no such thing as a chicken knife, but there's a steak knife. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you've been denied doing some, some media and, and communication kind of outreach because you have such a broad worldview? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, that was, that was something I didn't quite expect. Yeah. Um, you know, I, <laughs> you always, you always feel a little bit of resistance within the agriculture industry, unfortunately, when you're doing something different. So you always kind of feel a little bit of a sense of that within production ag. Um, you know, especially if somebody may not completely understand your business model and how you're doing it. And there's just that, perception in their mind that since we are direct consumer marketing in this manner that it just comes with a negative connotation which doesn't have to be the case but unfortunately there is so much negative marketing nowadays that that's where people's minds typically go um, so that one I did expect but from the from the consumer side I didn't quite expect that one that it it, it could be just as radical the other way. That that is an interest that's food for thought right there. I think we're gonna we're gonna have to come back to that on another episode and and discuss that some more because um it's yeah, you expect you it's just what you said. You expect to find some some pushback um from maybe your fellow producers, but going in a different direction with consumers is it's just interesting to hear that that perspective from you that that's what's happened especially as millennials I feel like all the time we're like open your mind see the world get off your phones <laughs> let's look at the world and to be to be questioned for being open-minded and and looking at different avenues for profitability for your business and a high quality product while also staying true to your roots is is something I have to chew on <laughs> yeah yeah and kudos to you for straddling for straddling that chasm almost that's that's a pretty cool thing um 
So you guys are very active on social media, by the way, listeners. If you haven't already, go find Colorado Craft Beef on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and their website, coloradocraftbeef.com. You will not be disappointed, and um, the Instagram stories alone are enough to make you hungry. (laughs) Um, What do you do, Kara, beyond social media? I I know a little bit about you guys um, being actively involved in, in marketing your product, um, in the more traditional ways, but it seems like those traditional ways are maybe getting more unique just because of the social media world we live in. So what other thing, what kind of things does Craft Beef do off of social media to, to promote and market your product? So one of the, the big things that we've found to be incredibly valuable is just bringing consumers out to the ranch. So people that are interested in where their beef comes from, uh, that has been an incredibly rewarding experience to me. And I will say, at first, I was pretty hesitant, just like anybody within production agriculture. (laughs) This is, I mean, where where you live and grew up and the, you know, it's just such a personal thing that you always have a little bit of fear factor in that with opening up to the public that may not completely understand it. So we had to overcome that fear. Um, But having, having interested parties come out and and see the ranch and just see where beef is raised and truly connect with that has been so rewarding. Uh, We've actually had vegetarians come back to beef because of it. And we had one family that their daughter had some health issues and they came out to see the ranch because the the doctor had been telling her she really needed to eat more red meat, but she'd gone away from it because she just she didn't feel comfortable about where it came from because she didn't know the story. So they came out to the ranch and it helped her health issues immensely of going back to eating beef because now she feels really, she feels good about where her beef source is coming from. So those stories for us, I mean, that, that has been incredible. And I never would have been able to experience that without starting this kind of an endeavor. So uh, but oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. So as a consumer, because oftentimes they feel disconnected from their food source. But how do you recommend them reaching out and finding a ranch or finding a farmer to connect with? And and then on the flip side, as ranchers and farmers, how do we how do we overcome that hurdle and put ourselves out there to meet that consumer? Sure. So much of that on. For us, for example, has come from social media. So there's so much interaction that can happen on those platforms without people even having to pick up the phone. <laughs> we know in this technology, I think a lot of times that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, so most of that's been, you know, they've seen our social media presence. They've seen some of the stories of the ranch and you know beef and just that that story, and it intrigues them enough to reach out and just ask the question if it might be a possibility to come out. And we do openly offer that, too. And if we're having a, a conversation around beef, we say, hey, you know, if you'd like to come out, we, we'd be happy to have you. So it is an open two-way street, whether a consumer is reaching out to you or within conversations we're reaching out to them. Awesome. And maybe for the listeners that um, haven't ever been on a ranch tour or sat down with a rancher. Can you just give maybe a brief synopsis of what a tour might look like for you guys? 
So that was one thing that I was a little bit hung up on in the beginning. I was like, oh, I feel like we need a structure. I'm a little bit type A in that. So <laughs> we need to know exactly what we're doing and how we're doing it. They need to see X, Y, and Z. But in reality, it doesn't have to be that complicated. I mean, even if they just come out, uh, you see the pasture, you take them out when you're taking out salt or mineral, so they can see the, the windmill and the well. And, I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be anything too crazy. We normally take them down to one of our old homestead stakes so when the ranch was officially homesteaded, and that history is just kind of a cool thing. But as far as having it to be a big extravagant ordeal, it really doesn't have to be. And then we finish, you know, around our table with cooking our beef so they can taste it themselves. Uh, we've done something what we've called steak school. So we'll get multiple different types of steaks out, and then my husband will grill those, and then they get to taste each different steak. And we talk about where they come from, why they taste differently. Uh, and, and, I mean, 99% of them have never had that opportunity to taste all these different cuts at one time to truly understand maybe even what they like and don't like when it comes to a beef cut. So that's, that's so cool. And it's, we do wine tastings and beer tastings and cheese tastings. Why uh, not steak? Why not throw steak and beef into that mix? <laughs> yeah, that's, it's I incredible. Get behind that. <laughs> It's incredible what you. (laughs) That sounds like the kind of event that we ought to, you know, we ought to start that up. (laughs) Um, That's it's just an incredible story to hear you guys living this out and 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 making it happen right now. Last week on our podcast, Valine and I talked about how, you know, we need to get people onto our turf and and just have honest and real conversations with them. And you made it sound. I mean, you, you've just proven and told us that making it simple, keeping it simple, and, and just being real with people has led to success both, you know, in, in telling the agriculture story and your story and helping consumers feel comfortable where their food comes from. And I think I just have to say, go you guys, because um, maybe we overthink things in agriculture, but you guys overcame that, 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 uh, vulnerability and and are really making it work so kudos to you guys that's awesome it's cool to hear about well and we i think take for granted our day-to-day life on the ranch and our day-to-day activities because we do it every day but that's a novelty for some people and they don't have that experience and just to sit in the truck or on horseback with you guys i think is an incredible experience that they'll remember for the rest of their lives Absolutely. Definitely. So that's what I want to remember at the end of the day. Absolutely. It it is putting an experience to agriculture and more importantly for, you know, somebody that's a consumer, which of course we're all one of them as well, is having an experience with it makes a difference and I know that's a very millennial thing to say (laughs) well this is the millennial ag podcast so we're in the right place to do this (laughs) so we do have some questions about being a millennial in agriculture but before we get there um it can't be this week this week talking about agriculture and especially with two beef ladies um on the podcast without talking about what Ellen did this week um Val do you want to intro what happened and then Kara we'd like to hear your feedback 
So Ellen's kind of been um, anti-meat or doesn't eat meat very often um, and has been active, has let the world know that, but this last week she made it even clearer and had a like an anti-meat movement or eat less meat will save the planet type movement. And there was quite a few ranchers that kind of got in an uproar and are trying to get her to have them on her TV show, which is not quite happened, but has gotten a lot of media attention elsewhere. Um, Kara can probably explain a little better than I can about that too. And maybe her perspective on how we can, how we as beef producers in general can can combat that and what your suggestion is on that. Sure. Um, that was a really unfortunate uh, event. Uh, and I say that not necessarily, you know, from just her perspective, but, you know, if any anybody in, in that kind of, let's call it a, a power position, you know, when you're a public figure uh, takes a stance like that, I... I understand that everybody has their own food choices, and that's what they are, their, their choices. Uh, but it doesn't mean that that should be pushed upon everybody else as well. Uh, I mean, we live in a great country where we can choose what we eat every day, but that, should, that agenda, I don't feel like, should be shared like that on that type of platform, more or less telling people what they should or should not eat. Uh, that That is pretty pretty close to home for me. Of course, it's even closer to home when it's about meat, and then, you know, of course, beef is, is in that realm, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially with uh, saying that it's better for the environment, it's better for the animals, it's better, you know, for the climate, it's, it's better all the way around, and so many very unfounded claims. Uh, just like the story I told you guys about farming this ground here. And this ground would have very little use for anything else minus beef cattle production of yeah. where we're utilizing these resources that would have so little value somewhere else, but they have incredible value to bring a high-quality protein to people's table. Uh, that's, that's a pretty bold statement to say that going without meat is a better option than choosing meat. And it's, it comes down to some of the, the food shaming, unfortunately, that happens nowadays of what you should or shouldn't be eating and choosing to feed your family. That, that really is nobody's decision but your own because that is very personal. And food choices are a very personal thing to you and then now you know, I'm going to be a new mother. That's a very personal thing to have somebody tell me what I should or should not feed my child uh, to make sure that they're they're healthy. So those just those on that that basis is rubs me a little bit <laughs> the wrong way. So. Definitely and yeah, thank you for sharing that. And um, you know, it's not going to be the last time that we hear a celebrity or a person in power um, say something like that. And um, just being able to talk about it like this is, I think, is a good way to start um, start maybe pushing back a little bit on some of those perceptions and negativity. So, um, this is the Millennial Ag Podcast, and you're our first guest and our first millennial guest, so we've got millennial questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, first off, what do you think, as Kara Smith, 
are the challenges in agriculture for the millennial generation, not, not you know, the typical challenges that we all think about, but for our generation in particular, where we're the ones coming up and going to be truly the next generation in ag. What do you see as our challenges? Well, outside of the typical things that we can always talk about within production ag, of the high barrier to entry, especially if you didn't come from an operation that's already, you know, has the land and the assets and, you know, those things that can be passed on to the next generation. If a millennial wanted to come get into production ag tomorrow, that barrier of entry from an economic standpoint is incredibly high. So that is one thing within production ag that's always going to be there for the next generation. And right now, of course, we're looking at the millennial generation to take over for most commonly the, the baby boomers. Right, so exactly. My parents are in that category mm-hmm. of we need to figure out how to do that. Uh, but outside of just that high barrier to entry, uh, there's always that different generational look on production ag and the future <laughs> and what that looks like. Uh, so the, the openness to innovate and be willing to do that and more or less have that support from the older generation when we want to innovate and try new things and progress the, the family operation and production ag for the better. Uh, we always, you know, I, I'm sure you guys can share with me in that of we have that kind of holistic view of we want to feel like we are making a difference and an impact and driving positive change. So that that willingness for that to happen within the ag industry, I think it's something that does need to be addressed from a generational aspect. Um, I look across the industry, doesn't matter what sector we're in, it seems like we kind of can get in that lull. Uh, there's some, some parts of production ag that aren't as much in that lull, but that, that need and want and drive for the innovation and support to do so I think is one of those challenges that's there. Um, so, and I would I would also say looking outside of just the production ag on how things are done in other businesses is something that millennials can take a hold of and really try to make that apparent within their operation of continually learning from other places to help drive production ag forward. No, those are, I think, something Catherine and I truly feel ourselves with our family's operations and um, seeing our friends wanting to get into ag or leaving ag um, and the challenges that that we all are facing. Um, I think you did a really good job summing that up. But to end or maybe transition a little bit to a more positive note, um, what opportunities as a millennial do you see going forward and how can we so to say, grab the bull by the horns and and make a positive imprint on on our generation and the generations to come. One of the other things that drove my desire to want to start Colorado Craft Beef was who better to connect with our changing demographic and our new up and coming millennial consumer than a millennial. So that's where I landed on that of, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to have a conversation with somebody you don't feel as connected with. So us as millennials, we can, 
we already have that that platform and you know the the generation to have these conversations and these heartfelt feelings and transparency and tell tell the story about agriculture from one millennial to another. So we have a huge opportunity within the consumer, the, the millennial consumer now that everybody continues to talk about that we're a part of. So we're already in, in the group per se. So we have that leg up to have that conversation with them. And I think that's a huge opportunity that I'd love to see more millennials be able to to take on to have that conversation with their millennial consumer counterparts. I think that's a great point. And I mean, just like you say, making those connections and and doing it from a shared space is is a place that we can we can take advantage of as agriculture. Um, Kara, we we really appreciate you coming on and and sharing your perspectives and your wide breadth of knowledge from ruminant nutrition all the way to you know what what millennials think and feel and how they want to experience their food has been such a great conversation. And before we say goodbye. Um, we need to know where can we find Colorado Craft Beef and where can we buy it? So you can find Colorado Craft Beef on all of the social media channels. Just look up at Colorado Craft Beef. And to purchase, everything is online. So you can go to coloradocraftbeef.com, uh, read a little bit more about our stories, look at some recipes. Uh, if you have any questions, you can either call us or send us an email. Uh, but you can also order from that online platform. Fantastic. And just speaking as someone who has had the blessed experience to try Colorado craft beef, not kidding, guys, go give it a try. The summer sausage especially is on point. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Feel free to reach out to us, provide feedback, and submit your questions. Our email address is Catherine at millennialag.com. That is K- Catherine with a K A T H. A-R-I-N-E. And please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Also, rate us on your favorite podcast platform.